Well, again, good morning. Happy Easter. Uh, what a beautiful day. What an amazing uh, day to gather again. Uh, we were not able to do this last year. Oh, and kids. I always forget the kids. I, kids, I love you guys. It's not that I don't love you. I just, I get so excited. Uh, so kids, if you are uh, between three and second grade, if you want to go right through that door, uh, we're going to have some time on the playground for you, and you'll talk about Jesus and uh, learn about what happened today when he rose from the dead. You can go right through that door with Miss Carrie. Miss Carrie will wave. Can you wave, Miss Carrie, so everybody can see you? There you go. Everybody follow Miss Carrie right through there, and you'll come back and join us in just a few minutes. Thank you, Taylor. <clears throat> Let's try that again. <laughs> Uh, great to be together. Such a joy to be able to gather uh, this Easter. We weren't able to do it uh, last year, and uh, heartbreaking, and such a joy now to be able to be together. So praise God uh, that we can gather on this Easter, on this uh, resurrection day together. Um, I love this account. I love John chapter 20. Um, it is such a beautiful picture of what God has done for us in his son Jesus. What happened that first Sunday, that resurrection Sunday, uh, that first Easter. And so I want us to look at these, um, this incredible account together. If you have a Bible, I want you to open it up to John chapter 20. Uh, if you're um, uh, new to Apostles, we put Bibles in the uh, seat back, so hopefully near to you, you can grab one of those blue Bibles and open it up to John chapter 20. And what's, uh, what stands out to me, at least this year, as I've read through John's account, is those last verses. That last verse that I just read, in verse 18, where Mary runs back to the other disciples and she says, I have seen the Lord. I've seen the Lord. He's alive. He's alive. He's risen. And it's amazing. It's amazing because if you go back to the beginning of John's account of Jesus' life, if you go back to the very early words when he's unfolding this incredible story about who Jesus was and why he came, in the beginning, this is what he says. He says, no one, no one has ever seen God, the only God, but now Jesus, in Jesus he's made him known. And Mary says, I have seen him. I've seen him. He's alive. That, that fact that Jesus was alive, that she had seen him, changed her life, and it changed the lives of the disciples, and it, changed, it can change our life. It can change our life because it can transform everything about the world as we know it. It can change us from the inside out, our failures, our pains, and our fears. It can change all of that. Easter changes everything, and so we gather today to celebrate that and to remember that. And if the truth is, if you believe that Jesus rose from the dead, uh, then my hope this morning is as we gather that, as we look at John chapter 20, it'll fan the faith that you already have. It'll fan that flame of faith within you. And if you're here this morning and you're not sure what you think about Jesus, if you're still unsure about the resurrection, my hope is that as we look at John chapter 20, that maybe perhaps for the first time or, or maybe more today, you'll see him. You two will see him and maybe even believe that in fact he rose from the dead, that he can change everything for you too. And so 
As we look at John chapter 20 this morning, I want us to consider two questions. And the first question is, did the resurrection really happen? Did it really happen? It's such an important question. Did it really happen? And the second one is, what difference does the resurrection of Jesus Christ make? If it happened, what difference does it ultimately make to our lives today? So first, did it happen? You know, it's interesting. Mary is the first one at the tomb. In the early hours of the day, in the darkness, she gets there. And what does she find? She finds that the tomb has been opened and the body is missing. And so she runs back to tell the disciples what she's seen. But what's interesting is they didn't just take her word for it, right? At least Peter and John didn't, because what do they do? They then run to the tomb themselves. And I love the way it's depicted. John, the other disciple uh, who wrote this gospel, makes sure he gets a little dig in, right? Peter and I ran, but I got there first. He says it twice. I mean, it's hilarious. You don't think the gospels are funny. They are hilarious. John gets there first. But he, 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 he runs, and Peter runs, and they want to get there because they want to see for themselves, right? They want to investigate for themselves. And I would say the same is true for us. Something this important should not be taken on someone else's word. As faithful as Mary's witnesses is, it should not be taken on someone else's word. You, I would say, you yourself need to consider the evidence for Jesus' resurrection. You have to answer the question for yourself. What actually happened at the tomb? Simon Gathercole, a New Testament scholar at Cambridge, he writes this. He says, there are abundant historical references that leave us with little reasonable doubt that Jesus lived and that Jesus died. The more interesting question for us, which goes beyond history and beyond objective fact, is whether Jesus died and then lived. The Christian faith ultimately hinges on that question. Did Jesus die and then rise to life? Is it true? The question for you is what do you believe? Have you examined the evidence for the resurrection or have you taken someone else's word for it? Maybe you heard some pastor somewhere say something that you've held on to or a teacher, an article you read uh, in the checkout line, that time story, cover story that comes out every year. Who was Jesus, right? A National Geographic special on the historical Jesus. I would say don't take somebody else's word for it. Investigate, because if it's true, if it's really true, it could change everything. This morning, I want us to look at the evidence. We can't look at all the evidence, for the resurrection, but I want to give you at least a few pieces of evidence that I think help me, at least because of this evidence, it helps me believe that the resurrection is true. I find it compelling. At the very least, I think it helps make the resurrection plausible. So I want to look at three things. First, the empty tomb itself. The evidence of the empty tomb. Jesus wasn't there. His body was gone. Now, we all know that people don't rise from the dead, and they knew that too. The body is gone. And so what's the explanation? And I think the natural explanation, our instinct is to say, well, there must be a better explanation than resurrection. People don't rise from the dead. They don't come back to life. So people have guessed, well, maybe the Romans or the Jewish authorities took the body. But if you kind of drill into that, that doesn't really make sense. They wanted him dead, 
right? They wanted him dead. They killed him. These are the people that made sure that Jesus was crucified. So the last thing they would want would be to perpetuate a rumor that he's still alive. Maybe it was thieves that stole the body. That's what Mary first thought. Who's taken him, she thinks. And while it's possible, the fact that burial linens were left neatly folded in the tomb is an interesting clue that actually undermines that idea. See, thieves might have stolen the body. That happened. But they wouldn't have taken all the time to remove all these expensive burial linens and then just left them behind. They were worth something. It's something you would have stolen, in other words. And maybe, maybe then it was the disciples. I mean, surely they had motive. Maybe they're just trying to push this idea of Jesus rising from the dead. But that's problematic for several reasons. For one, their leader Jesus had been captured, threatened, tortured, and killed. And the same fate awaited them if they claimed to be his followers. There's no incentive, in other words, for them to claim that Jesus is alive. In fact, if they do, they will be killed for claiming that he's alive. And so I think there's significant evidence when we look at the empty tomb. I think another helpful piece of evidence is the multiple witnesses that we encounter in the Bible. Jesus, we're told, appeared to over 500 people at once. 500 people. Five times as many as are here this morning saw Jesus, just like Mary saw him, alive. Jesus appeared on 10 different occasions to different groups of people. That's hundreds of witnesses who could say, I've seen him alive. What's interesting is the Gospels account, uh, recount people's names, specific names, in part because in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, these people saw him, and he tells you that people saw him, and he says, they're still alive. You know what he's saying? Go talk to them. <laughs> Go ask them what they saw, and they'll tell you, he, he rose from the dead. I saw him. He was alive. These eyewitness accounts. So you have to come to terms with that. I mean, were they all lying? Did they all perpetuate this great conspiracy? I've always loved this quote from Chuck Colson. Uh, if you know who Chuck Colson is, he's one of the, the men who was involved in the Watergate conspiracy uh, who later came to faith in Jesus. And this is what he says about the resurrection. Listen to this. He says, he says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Jesus raised from the dead, and then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years years, never once denying it, even being beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it weren't true. And then he says this. He says, Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world, and they couldn't keep a lie for three weeks. <laughs> You're telling me 12 apostles kept a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And then, then there's the fact that so many of the key eyewitnesses were women. It's amazing. In the Gospels, the role of women as eyewitnesses is crucial. It's critical. They're the only ones to see Jesus die. I mean, think about it. They're the only ones to see him die, to see him buried, and to see him rise. They were all women. Richard Baucom, in his book, Jesus and the Eyewitnesses, he says this, the fact that some of the women were at all three events means that they can testify that Jesus was dead when he was laid in the tomb, that the tomb in which he was buried 
was then found empty. They saw the whole thing. They saw all those pieces. And this is particularly amazing if you consider that in Jesus' day, women were relegated to second-class status in society. In other words, their public testimony was not deemed trustworthy. So think about that. If you wanted to make up a story about Jesus rising from the dead, you wouldn't want women as your key witnesses. And yet, here they are. You know, the Bible is often panned, accused, as, as demeaning of women. And it's just not true. I mean, look at this. These women are elevated as witnesses, as evangelists. Mary herself is a called the apostle to the apostles. She's the first to see Jesus, and she goes to tell them, I have seen him. I have seen him. He's alive. So you got the empty tomb. you got eyewitnesses. Finally, I would say you got transformed lives. you got lives being transformed in the disciples and then all through history, even to this room. You've got lives transformed. After Jesus' death, it's interesting, we're told that the disciples, here in chapter 20, they were, they were gathered in this room and they were afraid. They were fearful. They were depressed. They were dejected. They were hiding out behind locked doors in fear of what? Being caught and killed. Their fear of their own lives. But then something really strange happens. Suddenly, they burst out of that room. They're filled with joy. They hit the streets. They're risking their own lives to proclaim something totally unbelievable. That Jesus is risen from the dead. He's alive. We've seen him. And each one of them was willing to die for that belief. They were transformed. I mean, something changed them. Something changed them. Something extraordinary happened. And for thousands of years and millions and millions of people's lives, there is a testimony. People have encountered this risen Jesus and it's transformed their lives. And so for me and for you, this, this evidence, I think, is compelling. The scholar N.T. Wright simply says, he's, I love this, he says, while the resurrection is absolutely the most improbable answer, it remains the most plausible answer. It's both. So if you want to learn more about this, I would encourage you to investigate for yourself. Look at the evidence. In fact, there's a great book I would uh, just recommend to you, commend to you, called A Skeptic's Guide to Jesus. What a great title. A Skeptic's Guide to Jesus by John Dixon. Check it out. But it's so important to look at the evidence because here's the thing. Our faith is not blind faith. Our faith is not blind faith. It's built on evidence. And the greatest evidence is that we too have seen him. Our lives are the evidence and the lives of others in this room. There are stories that can be told about lives transformed within our church family that point to the fact that Jesus is alive. Our hearts, in other words, tell us it is true because we too have seen him. He is alive. Praise God. So that brings us to our second question. If the resurrection really did happen, if we can say that with confidence, what difference does the resurrection make? What difference does it make? You just offer a few impacts, I think, uh, what it means. First, it means this. Jesus, who was, uh, sorry, Jesus was who he said he was, and he did what he came to do. That's what the resurrection tells us. Jesus was who he said he was, 
and he did what he came to do. Look at verse 8. In verse 8, it says, when John, the other disciple, went inside the tomb, he, quote, saw and believed. He saw and believed. In John's gospel, to believe means more than just saying, yes, Jesus existed. To believe is to say, I believe he is who he said he is, and he did what he claimed to do. Jesus was constantly making these audacious claims. I mean, read through the Gospels, these incredible, outrageous claims about himself. And he claimed that he was more than a teacher, more than a great prophet, more than a moral example. He actually claimed to be God. He claimed that he himself was fully God and fully human, God with skin on. That is who he was. And he claimed that he came to rescue humanity, to deliver us from all sin and evil and suffering in this world. He came to forgive us and to heal us. Jesus claimed that he was gonna go to the cross and he was gonna take all evil and all sin and all our suffering and all that we have ever done and all that's ever been done to us on himself. And he claimed to pay that price, the price of our sin through his death. And he claimed he would rise from the grave, defeat death, disarm evil and make it possible for us to be reborn into life with him forever. Those are the things he claimed. And it got him arrested. And it got him killed. And here's the thing. Without the resurrection, Jesus, with all his claims, becomes just another obscure, delusional, religious fanatic relegated to the dusty pages of history. If there's no resurrection, we've never heard of Jesus. It's interesting, there's a, there's a guy in, uh, in my neighborhood, a uh, man named Charlie, and he rides uh, back and forth on our street most of the day. He just loves to ride his bike. He's a little bit older, I think he's retired, and that's just what he does all day. He rides by our house, and so I'll, I'll catch him every once in a while and just have a conversation with him. And uh, the other day we got to talking about basketball. I love basketball, and Charlie loves basketball. And so he was telling me about his favorite player being Magic Johnson. And, uh, and he asked me, well, who's your favorite player? And I said, well, it's Larry Bird. <laughs> <laughs> and it was so funny, because he, he kind of looked at me, cocked his head, and then he, he kind of looked at me for a while, and he goes, oh, yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, yeah, I see it. I see the resemblance. Of course he's your favorite player. <laughs> if you don't know who Larry Bird is, just Google it and you'll, you'll get it. Um, but it, it's just funny because now when I see him in the neighborhood, he, he always yells out to me, Larry Bird! He calls me Larry all over the neighborhood. But the truth is I'm not Larry Bird. And all you need to see to know that I am not Larry Bird is to watch me play basketball you would see very quickly that I am not who I said I was and I could not do what I said I could. But the resurrection says Jesus is who he said he was and he did what he came to do. And so that means all his claims were true. If the greatest claim was true, all the claims were true. He's God. And he came to save us, and he loves us, and he died on the cross for you and for me. 
Not even death could hold him. He is who he said he was. So that's the first thing it means. Second, the resurrection means that we can be freed from our past. The resurrection says that you and I can actually be forgiven and healed. You know, what's interesting to me is that when Peter and John ran to the tomb, even though John got there first, right, even though he clearly made it first, he beat Peter, who was the first to run in? Peter. John stopped at the, at the, at the entrance to the tomb. Peter rushed right in past him in the darkness, into the tomb, searching for Jesus. Why? It doesn't tell us. But I, I have to wonder if he wasn't propelled by a sense of, of his own guilt and shame, if he was running with a sense of desperation to that tomb that John just didn't carry in the same way. You see, Peter, Peter had denied knowing Jesus, his closest friend, his Messiah, his Savior, his King. He, he, he had betrayed Jesus. And he had been living with that guilt and that shame. And so he ran. He ran in the darkness, carrying the weight of that guilt and shame. And so maybe you're here this morning, you're feeling some guilt and some shame. Maybe you're aware of things you've done wrong, some things that you're ashamed of, some things you wish you could take back. Things you wish you'd never done, things you wish had never been done to you. Maybe you feel weary from just trying to live life on your own without God. The truth is, a lot of us beneath the surface are a real mess. Y'all look great this morning. It's Easter. I mean, again, I'm wearing a tie, second Sunday in a row. We look good. We look really good, right? But I think a lot of us underneath, maybe we're not doing so good. We're trying to keep it together and keep anyone from knowing just how broken we feel. Places in our lives that are hurting, where we're anxious, where we're afraid, we need help. We've all been hurt. Whether we admit it or not, we all carry pain with us. And I know that's true. I know that's true for you because it's true for me. It's part of being human in a broken world. So despite how good we look sitting in this room, without God, we're ultimately left carrying the burden of our guilt and our shame, our, our pain, our regret. And the truth is, eventually, it will crush us. It'll eat us from the inside out. It'll tear relationships apart erode marriages, devastate friendships, corrupt even the best of our intentions. And you will find yourself, if you try to make it on your own without God, you will find yourself laying in your bed at night wondering, how did it come to this? Is there hope for me? Can things change? The resurrection is good news for you and for me. It's good news that Jesus rose from the dead. He did what he said he was going to do. He took all your shame, 
and all your guilt and all your failures and all your hurt. He took all of it so you don't have to carry it anymore. He took it on himself and he took it to the cross and when he died, your shame and your guilt died with him. It died on the cross and it's left there. It's in the past. It is behind. The cross and the resurrection give you freedom from shame, a future with meaning and life, life free of regret, life with Jesus forever, a fresh start, a new identity, a new hope. 1 John 4.10 says this. This is, how, this is how God showed his love for us, for you and me. God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. Live. Live. This is the kind of love we're talking about. Not that we once upon a time loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a sacrifice to clear away our sin. You don't have to be a prisoner of your past. Jesus offers forgiveness and he offers healing. Peter arrived at the tomb loaded with guilt and shame, but over the days ahead, as he encountered Jesus, he encountered what? Grace, love, God's forgiveness. In fact, Jesus then charged Peter in his new life, in his forgiven life. He charged him with building his church, with being a shepherd of God's people. And Jesus, Peter, was freed from his past and discovered who he really was and that he had a divine destiny, a purpose, and a future with Jesus. And so do you. And so do I. And the resurrection tells us that, that Jesus offers us freedom from our past. It means new life, a new identity, a new family, love and meaning and purpose. We're told later in chapter 20 that the disciples, as I said, were hiding behind closed doors. They were afraid of death, right? And one of the things that comes with new life is new hope, a future, a different kind of future, a future where we don't have to be afraid of death. That's what the resurrection means for you today. You don't have to be afraid of your past or of your future. The reality is that we will all die. But the good news of Easter is that we no longer have to fear death, that there's hope for tomorrow, hope beyond Death. Death could not hold him. Think about what that means. Everyone who's ever lived has died. Everyone here will die. Everything in the natural world dies. Planets die. Stars die. Death is inevitable. You can't stop it, but Jesus did. Not only did he stop it, he destroyed it, he reversed it. Death was not the end for him, and he has made the way open for us, for a hope, for a future for life with him. Because of the resurrection, the worst the world can do is kill us. <laughs> How crazy is that? Because death is, there's no fear. It simply ushers us into something better. Life with God forever. It's a door, not the end. And so this morning, I, I just wanna ask you, it, are you longing for that kind of freedom from your past, for forgiveness, for freedom from shame and from guilt? Do you want new life with God? Do you want hope, a future? If you do, 
then I would say, declare it. Like those first disciples who saw and believed. Jesus, you are who you said you are. You're God in the flesh. You did what you said you would do. You died on the cross for me. You took my sin and my shame on yourself. You love me and you forgive me and you rose from the dead. You are alive in me. I believe it. I believe it. Come into my life. You can pray that today. If you've never prayed that, you can pray that today. And so maybe you want to take that step. I know that nobody comes to Easter planning on taking that step. But maybe you did. Maybe you will. Maybe you'll believe because you've seen him. Because he's alive. 